Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. You can pull out those inserts again this week and keep them because we're going to use it. I guess you missed that one. That's okay. (laughs) Going along with the Christmas story and how we go through the motions of this season. And, and I know a lot of us look at these times and think it's difficult to celebrate anything. Some of us have lots of praises. Some of us have a lot of things that have troubled us throughout the year. But yet Christmas is a season of hope especially in the midst of a really challenging year. And the hope of Christmas is irrepressible, no matter what you're facing. No matter what you're facing, it is irrepressible. There's a buoyant hope to Christmas that continues to surface despite our challenges. Now, some years ago, and most of us have not seen this, but in the Cincinnati Post... They decided to keep all of the bad news out of their pages for one day. Can you imagine that? All of those negative things were gone for one day. And they only decided to put the good news on the front page of the newspaper. And what would make the editors do such a rare thing? They did this in honor of Christmas. Now again, Christmas's buoyant hope seeps through everything and moves through every obstacle. Would you agree with me there? Marxist-Lenin issued an order in 1919 that if anyone didn't show up to work on December 25th because of the Christmas holiday, they would be shot. Imagine that. They would be shot on sight. The people turned to Christmas to gather hope and warmth in the midst of challenging times. And Lenin knew this, and he hated it, absolutely hated it. The hope of Christmas and the hope of that Christmas message moves us. It's irrepressible. Now, the celebration of Christmas has grown throughout the years, like the layers of an onion, the traditions around Christmas are many-fold, right? If you could travel back in time, Christmas would look really different down through the centuries. The earliest Christmas really did not celebrate Christmas. These men and women of faith were more interested in celebrating Easter and the resurrection than they were in the birth of Jesus Christ. It was not until people began to deny if Jesus really came in human flesh that Christian churches actually began to place their nativity scenes. And the way we celebrate Christmas has changed throughout the years. The modern picture of a holiday where Christmas trees are put up and presents for the children are under the tree really began to take shape in the middle of of the 1800s. So it hasn't been long that we actually celebrate these normal traditions. But it's here that a painting of England's royal family was reprinted in New York. 
The paintings showed the family around a Christmas tree that Albert had bought from Germany, and you could see children surrounding the tree in the painting, and you could see gifts there as well. And from this middle-class-looking photo, our idea that the holiday should be centered around the idea of putting gifts under a tree really took off. And with the beginning of department stores, the commercialization of Christmas really took off as we know it today. And before the start of department stores like Macy's and all their great advertising, friends and family would give handmade clothes. So today and this morning, I want to kind of peel back that onion, so to speak, just a little bit and talk about the real story of Christmas. Now, the biblical story of Christmas has major characters and minor characters who all play an important role in making the story of Christmas great theater to us as Christians. Some of these you know well, such as Joseph, Mary, and the angels, and others are less well-known and only have cameo appearances, as you would, such as the two characters that we're going to talk about today, and that's Simeon and Anna. Now, to prepare us for the upcoming Christmas season, I want to introduce to you these two people who were exceptional at waiting. They were exceptional at waiting. And God tells this relatively unknown man named Simeon, I will show you the Messiah before you die. And then there's a lady named Anna who did nothing but fast and pray at the temple night and day. And here's when Jesus is presented at the temple. We meet a man of faith and a woman of prayer. So what do we need to do? What kind of lessons can we learn from these two? First of all, we need to learn how to wait. We need to learn how to wait. Luke chapter 2, 25 through 26. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And there was a prophetess, Anna. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, 37, and then was as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So both Simeon and Anna here were both really good at waiting. They were really good at waiting. And they waited because they took the Bible seriously. How many of us take the Bible that seriously? Probably not as many as we probably should be, right? We need to take the Bible seriously. So then the question becomes, how do we feel about waiting? How do you feel about waiting? Now there's all kinds of waiting in life. There's wait until your father gets home. There's waiting on your plane during a long layover. And then there's waiting room where you sit to hear news from the doctor of the outcome of your loved one's surgery. And then there's waiting on Christmas. Recently, we watched Frosty the Snowman right after Thanksgiving. And I loved when that show came on as a child because that was kind of the kickoff to 
the holiday season. And I remember that as a kid. Loved to watch Frosty the Snowman. And maybe you had something similar which marked the beginning of Christmas season for you. Waiting on Christmas was packed full of anticipation and excitement. But waiting for the first Christmas wasn't nearly as exciting. From the end of your Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, 400 years go by with no word from God. Israel had been used to prophets speaking for God like like clockwork. Once um, after another, they appeared. But the heavens were silent and God's people waited. For 400 years, God had been silent when Anna and Simeon waited on Jesus to be born. And with those 400 years, no prophet had spoken a word from the Lord. It had been a long, hard time and a long time of waiting. But it talks about something that we were waiting for and they were also waiting for. If you were to, let's say, locate me in a Coles parking lot and you saw me waiting in the car, you might ask me, well, are you waiting on Hannah? to come out? And if I said, no, I just come here to uh, have fun in my idle time. I just drive around the parking lot because I think it's fun. You'd probably look at me as if I was crazy, right? But if I were to find you or anyone at the airport early on a Monday morning and I were to ask you, are you waiting on a flight? Would you say to me, no, I just come to hang out at the airport? Would that make much sense? No one does this, but people that wait in department store parking lots and find that fun waiting or in airport lobbies uh, pretty much need a special jacket with the zipper in the back. Would you agree? (laughs) It's not something that we do, but it's important for you to understand that Simeon and Anna had something to wait for. They knew what they were waiting for. They were not just waiting, but they were waiting for something, and actually they were really waiting for someone. They were waiting with a purpose, waiting with a purpose. In verse 25, Simeon waits on the consolation of Israel, which we know is Christ Jesus. Jesus is the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit told Simeon someone was coming. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Now their Bibles, our Old Testaments, told them someone was coming. And both Simon and Anna were devout believers who knew their Bibles very well. They took it, again, they took it very seriously. They had read and they had reread the Bible numerous times over. They took things serious, like we need to take this seriously. They couldn't help but see as they read that over 300 predictions that were littered throughout the Old Testament about the Messiah. And everyone knew this. And when I say everyone, I mean everyone. In 2014, a British woman sued her divorce uh, divorce lawyers, claiming that they had not warned her that getting a divorce would end her marriage. (laughs) 
the case was quickly dismissed, obviously. But there are just some things everybody knows and should know. Let me show you. The color of blood is? Now, despite controversy, and you may argue with this next one, but that's okay. JFK was killed by? Yeah, as he, you're like, well? The rich only get? And everyone knows that man's best friend is? Dog. Again, most people know this. How widely was it known that the Old Testament predicted the coming of the Messiah? When Jesus met with the woman at the well, she told everyone in the village this, Come, see this man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Now, she was a woman who had divorced five husbands and was living with a man when she spoke to Jesus. If this were Zsa, Zsa Gabor who once said, a girl must marry for love and keep on marrying until she finds it. Needless to say, the woman at the well wasn't the most spiritually sensitive person. Yet even she knew there was a Messiah who was coming. And she asked everyone in her town, could this be the Christ, the Messiah? Every good Jewish person knew the Messiah was coming because their Old Testament predicted it. And Anna and Simeon had the faith to go to the temple and wait. They had the faith to go and wait. And they read the Bible seriously and they waited on God to move with like a sketch artist's rendition of Jesus in their minds. That moves to Isaiah's prophecy. The book of Isaiah alone contains 111 separate predictions here. 700 years before Jesus Christ was even born, the prophet explained that Christmas, before anyone had ever even experienced Christmas, how could this be? Seven centuries before the star was shining... And the cradle was rocking, and the wise men were giving, and the angels were singing. God revealed to Isaiah exactly what this baby was for. And that he was to be born in Bethlehem, and he was to be called Jesus. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah 7 predicts how the Messiah is to be born. And then later on in chapter 9, predicts how the Messiah will rule. Isaiah says that we don't vote him into office, and we won't vote him out of office. You see, Isaiah dipped his prophetic pen, so to speak, and wrote what would become the centerpiece and the cornerstone of this Christmas prophecy. When Simeon and Anna read these predictions, they knew there was something to wait for. Think of it like an Old Testament barcode where you could track the arrival of the package. We do this all the time, don't we? 
See, the Messianic prophecies function like a tracking number to let Simeon know his package had arrived. Remember this, lots of people may have discussed the Messiah, but only these two noted, were noted for having the faith to actively wait for the Messiah. See the difference? See, today if a criminal commits a crime, a sketch artist will draw his picture from eyewitness accounts. Think of the Old Testament as giving an old, like a, a sketch artist uh, for the coming of the Messiah. So Simeon and Anna watched and waited because they took the Bible seriously. They had a picture in their mind of how this was going to come to be. And even people today, when we have the picture, we have the answers, we have the Bible, we have the manuscript, we have the script, they still forget why Christ came. They still don't believe that God loves them so much that he would send his son. So what does it mean to wait on God? To wait on God to do what he says doesn't mean you sit completely still and do nothing. There is an active thing that we must do. Many of our first jobs are working as a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant. But a waiter doesn't sit idly by when you get your food and water. He has to come or she has to come physically, ask for your order. Then go to the kitchen and get that order and then bring it to you. They do not sit idly and wait. Now, I've had waiters and waitresses that do sit idly, but that's another story. What does it mean to wait on God? You see, he or she serves you the same as God serves us. He is there for one purpose. The waiter and waitress are there to obey you. Would you agree? They're there to obey, to take your order, to fulfill that order. And while we're waiting on the Lord, we are to be serving him. We are to be serving him, taking his order, taking the Bible seriously, taking his order and obeying his command. Waiting doesn't simply mean you stop everything. Waiting on God means you are simply telling God, I am totally dependent on you. I am totally dependent upon your word. I am helpless and hopeless without you. I am waiting for your promises to take shape and take place. Anna and Simeon waited for God to fulfill his promises. So do we take the Bible seriously enough to wait on God to act? If the Bible told us that there was going to be snow on the 4th of July in the Sahara Desert, would you arrive with a parka on? Let's be honest for a moment. Do we have enough faith in God's word to actively wait on God to do what he said he would do? Do we have enough faith to rely solely upon God? And again, be honest with God and me. It was during the season for gaining weight and after Christmas, a wife had put on a new dress and looked at her husband and she asked the question that we all hate, gentlemen. 
She asked the question that would bring instant death to husbands everywhere. She said, honey, do I look fat in this dress? The husband thought for a moment. That was his first mistake. He thought for a moment, pointed to his shirt and said, do I look stupid in this shirt? But how seriously do we take the Bible? How seriously do we take it? Do we take the Bible's message seriously enough to go to one place day after day after day to see the Bible's prediction come to fulfillment? Why do we sit in these pews? Why do we show up? Why do we get involved in ministry? Because the pastor told me to. Okay. We need to fulfill our commitment to God. Simeon and Anna waited because they took it seriously. So we need to learn to wait. But we also need to expect his arrival. We need to expect his arrival. Now Mary and Joseph made their way to the temple in Jerusalem, which was about six miles from his birthplace in Bethlehem. So in verse 22, the couple took Jesus into the temple complex 40 days after his birth. And Joseph and Mary walked into the temple area with Jesus in their arms. Now when it came to the sacrifice, Joseph and Mary had their choice of offerings. Either a lamb or a pair of doves or a pair of pigeons. And only the wealthy offered a lamb. So they offered the pair in its place. Now, all that being said, it comes to this one statement. It says, the beautiful message of Christmas is a message of irrepressible hope and joy. Now, to witness the power of Christmas, you only need to see how dictators are threatened by it. Realizing the message of Christmas was too big to be ignored, Adolf Hitler of Germany attempted to twist the message of Christmas to fit the Nazi theology. And in place of the traditional words to the Christmas carol, Silent Night, children were taught a new song. See if you can spot the difference. Silent Night, Holy Night, all is calm, all is bright. Adolf Hitler is Germany's star, showing us greatness and glory afar, bringing us Germans the might. Not to be outdone by Hitler's radical notions, Fidel Castro banned Christmas. Do you remember this? Some of you were alive for this. He banned all public de decorations in 1969. And one person said there were two naughty words in those days, Christmas and human rights. But none of these dictators stood in the way of receiving the good news of great joy. Know that. No matter the obstacles that we have in life, no matter the obstacles that we're going through, even in this Christmas season, it does not prevent us from knowing the joy in the birth of Jesus Christ. So the question is, how did Simeon and Anna know it was Jesus when he entered the temple? Just how did they know when the baby Jesus arrived? Was he marked in a special way like a halo of light over his head? 
Did angels float in the area around him whenever and wherever he went? See, none of these were true because Jesus didn't have that halo of light or a special tattoo to mark he was the Savior. Remember, the angels lit up the night sky to tell the shepherds that Jesus was born. And the star appeared in the sky for the wise men to see Jesus' birth. But no angel was there to tell Simon or Simeon and Anna to look for Jesus. They weren't told. They, they acted upon faith. Jesus enters the temple, and when he does, it was as if fireworks went off for them. It was as if these two heard a dog whistle that only they could hear when Jesus arrived in the temple. Simeon and Anna didn't need angels to tell them that Jesus was near, for their spiritual eyes could see clearly the hope of the nation was before them. These two possessed a spiritual eyesight that had been developed over decades. Why? Because they trusted in the Bible. They trusted in God's word. They understood that the truth was being revealed and revealed to them. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So you could say that faith is sight even when the lights are off. Faith is the sight even when the lights are off. So how do you develop or develop your spiritual eyesight? How do we do that? First, we have to be spiritually reborn. We have to place our faith in Jesus Christ who died and rose again for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you are not born again, then the Bible says you are spiritually blind. So develop spiritual sight. We must be spiritually reborn. We and, and once we are reborn, it's not as if every believer has the same amount of spiritual sight. Understand that. There is a difference. We are told she was a widow and she was a really old widow. And when she was married for seven years in verse 36, and she was anywhere between 84 years old to 105 years old, and she was constantly in the temple fasting and praying, praying and fasting. But yes, she went home at night, but she lived at the temple like you might live at your workplace. She was there all the time. And one day, she was in the temple. And without a word being told, she sees Jesus. She sees Jesus. Her spiritual eyes told her immediately that this was the child. And the moment she saw Jesus, she gives thanks to God. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Anna gave thanks. And she spoke of Jesus to all who were waiting for that redemption of Israel. When Simeon sees Jesus enter the temple, he's like, Charles Dickens' character Scrooge at the very end of the story. And he runs around telling everyone what he has seen. 
He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. You see, when he first sees the baby Jesus, he sings. He sings. Jesus was on his bucket list because he began his song this way, I can now depart in peace. He was ready to die. He was ready to give it all for the man and the God who gave it all to him. He was hardwired to God through the Holy Spirit of God. He was a man who was led by the Spirit of God, taught by the Word of God, and obedient to the will of God. The Holy Spirit of God says to Simeon, that's the one. Here he is. Now, Lord, I am ready. Let me depart in peace because, Father, you have spoken to me. Here, says this faithful son of Abraham, is the fulfillment of a thousand prophecies and promises, the hope, the expectation, and the joy of my nation. With all that said, there is great expectation as we go through the holidays, right? There's great expectation. But you see, we must hone in on our spiritual skill of seeing with a confident expectation that God will do what he says he's going to do. The dictionary defines expectation as the regarding of something is likely to happen. Are we expecting good things to happen? Or do we let the consequences of life and choices and things that are out of our control sometimes dictate what we believe in, dictate how faithful we are, dictate how we go through the motions. You see, it's the idea that something is likely to happen or that you're confident that something is about to happen. And we do this all the time in life. When we order something online and we expect it to be there at a certain date. You expect your family to be home for the holidays. But you have to see, our confidence is not in chance or good fortune. But it is in the true and living God to work in our day. Anna and Simeon were given a spiritual sight so that they honed in on for years. They were perfecting it. And because of their growing confidence in God's word, they expected God to act in their day. Are we expecting God to act in our day? Just like they were. Can God act in our day? Yes, he can, because Christmas is an irrepressible hope that God moves and acts in our day. I want to leave you with this this morning. I want you to know that most of all, Christmas inspires hope. Christmas inspires hope. The symbols and stories surrounding the birth of Jesus should whisper into your ear. Don't give up. 
Keep going. And here are just a few of the ways Christmas teaches us lessons of hope and can fill you with optimism. First, follow the North Star. Follow the North Star. An epiphany refers to a sudden realization about the meaning of something. It usually feels inspired from an intuitive place that is charged with wisdom. For Christians, the epiphany is associated with the visit of the wise men to Jesus. They were guided by the star of Bethlehem that heralded the newborn king of the Jews. The epiphany teaches us to trust our North Star, the voice inside of us that is guided by the Spirit and will direct us to the goodness of truth. The story of the Magi inspires hope that if we follow our epiphanies, we will, like the wise men, arrive at the place we were meant to be. Second of all, we need to believe. We need to believe. If you watch the Macy's Parade on Thanksgiving morning, you'll see the unmistakable backdrop with the word believe. Christmas is about believing in things that defy Logic. The Son of God being born to a virgin in a stable filled with farm animals. The holy season prompts us to be childlike in our faith, to think with our hearts rather than our brains, to embrace a world beyond our own, trusting that God is with us every day. Christmas inspires hope, but it also inspires faith. In God and in his goodness, his truth and beauty. They are very, very real. But you know as well as I do, it's not always visible. So what do we do? The third thing we need to do, we need to say yes. We need to say yes. And perhaps the greatest story of courage ever told was Mary's three-word response to the angel Gabriel when he explained to her that she would bear the Son of God. Let it be. Let it be. I am the handmaid of the Lord. So with great humility, she opens herself to God's will. And she submits to his plan. Even though she knows none of the details. She knows none of the details. And by uttering her fiat Latin for let it be, she initiates the Christmas story and the arrival of God into human history. Mary's response also generates hope for all believers that by saying yes to God, we participate in the Christian story and find meaning that sustains us. Fourth, talk to your angels. Talk to your angels. The angel Gabriel may not appear to us as vividly as he did to Mary, but we are all surrounded by angels that we can call on for guidance and assistance whenever we need it. It's kind of like an inspired GPS system, if you will. They help us get to where we need to be. They help navigate the way, getting us from point A to point B. But if we choose... If we choose to access their help. Christmas reminds us of the active presence.
presence of angels in our lives. They sit atop the decorated trees as beacons. They're beacons of hope that send the message that we are not alone. Fifth, embrace your royalty. Embrace your royalty. Purple or violet has traditionally been the color of, of, of Advent. We know that. It symbolizes an anticipation of the coming king, as well as royalty and nobility. The first candle of the Advent wreath is the candle of hope, representing the arrival of something new and profound. Advent teaches us that we need to anticipate the good things that we can't see and to remember the presence of the royal king in our lives. As sons and daughters of the king, we are part of the royal family. We can embrace our nobility, and we can wear purple all year round if you'd like. But we are part of God's family. We are part of that royalty. Number six, we need to consider the evergreen. Now, evergreens decorate our homes and churches during Christmas reminding us of the promise of everlasting life and our ability to weather hardship. The evergreen remains unchanged through the seasons, inspiring a message of hope to persevere through adversity. The Christmas tree is a symbol of Christ, the miracle of Christmas, and God's gift of life. The green boughs on a Christmas wreath or a garland point us to the perennially freshness of life. That even when we feel as though our world is growing stale, there is always an element of newness and rebirth. And finally, we need to persist in darkness. We need to persist in in darkness. Light shines brightest in the darkness. That's the heart of the Christmas story. It's an overriding message of hope that is articulated beautifully in the lyrics of O Holy Night. O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. God didn't come into our world at high noon. He entered our lives in darkness. But in that, he showed us the way to light, guiding us towards love. And with that, demonstrating how to overcome shadows and blackness. You see, Christmas teaches us that even when things seem dark, we can trust the everlasting light. Amen? Amen. Dave, come and lead us in our benediction, please. In regards to waiting, worship while we wait, it truly prepares us for the answer that we will receive. Let's stand together as we end this morning and just sing a simple song. Emmanuel, Emmanuel.
Heavenly Father, thank you for our time this morning. I pray as we leave these doors that you will reveal to us the spirit of all of this, Lord. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you sent that beautiful gift so many years ago. Thank you that we have the opportunity to be here to celebrate it. But it goes beyond that, Lord. You call us to action. You call us to proclaim the good news. So I pray as we encounter family members, friends, loved ones, and even strangers, Lord, that you help us to reveal that truth to them. And that we remember that in all good things you are there. And in all trials and tribulations you are also there. And you never break your promise. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, we invite you to call on Him now and through a simple prayer of faith, give your life to Him. If you're not attending a church that honors the Bible as the Word of God, we encourage you to locate and begin attending such a church in the area where you live. The message you have just heard was preached from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. For more information on the ministry of First Baptist Church, Winton, please visit our website at wintonchurch.org. Oh, R.G.